Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Creativity is seeing what others see and thinking what no one else has ever thought. And you may have heard of the person that said this. It's Albert Einstein. So welcome again to The Profitable Photographer. I'm super excited to get to know a new friend, Kristen Sweeting. I'll tell you all about her in just a sec. I want to remind you that if you're not watching this on YouTube, you can. You can see her cute face and her pretty blonde hair and all the fun <laughs> stuff in her background and a couple of my loan collection prints on my wall. Yes. <laughs> anyway, thank you for subscribing, everybody. And I made an offer. If you would like to write me a letter as if it's a year from now with all of the things you would like to see happen, Feel free to do that. Send it to Lucy at LucyDumas.com, Lucy with an I. And if you want me to set up a 20-minute call just to chat about that, I would love to do that. Okay, here we go. So the lovely Kristen Sweeting is an international wedding photographer, educator, coast, and she has a podcast too that I'm going to be on. It's called The yeah. Dangerous... <laughs> The Dangerous Creatives Podcast. She's been photographing weddings and celebrations for 11 years, and the work has taken her to 20 different countries. Yikes. I'm going to ask you more about that. Yeah. <laughs> she had work featured in top wedding magazines and blogs, was voted one of the top wedding photographers in the South by Southern Weddings Magazine and gives back to photographers and creatives who want to grow their business through retreats. Oh, I love those. Workshops, speaking, and coaching. And so welcome, Kristen. Hello. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes. So where are you exactly? Uh, I'm in a small town outside of Nashville, Tennessee called Franklin. Ah. So we've been here for a little while. Have you ever been to Nashville? Yes, I've been I think three times for conventions, two or three times. I missed this year. Are you a PPA member? No, it was imaging was here, right? It was imaging here, but yes. I, I missed it. I really, I but I did one time. I went one time and I led one of Kodak's photo walks and it was mm -hmm. so fun. So um, I like, I, I was sad I missed it this year. Yeah. Well, and you were right there, but you still, if you're not like next door to the convention center, then it's a lot of effort to get things together and spend a week um, learning. I know. So. I think we are out of town. Otherwise, I would have yeah. been there with bells on. It's yeah. it's so cool to see other people. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'd love a quick little like, where did you come from that gave you a, a passion for wedding photography. I'm kind of tongue-tied. See, there it is again. Kind of tongue-tied this morning, but uh, you okay. guys can handle it, I know. Anyway, <laughs> how did you get to be you and know what you know, both photography inspiration and being able to uh, help others grow their business? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll try. Yeah, I'll try to make that really brief. I mean, I think I never knew that I wanted to be a photographer. I just knew I loved art and music. And I think my first business was as a kid, I started baking cookies to raise money (laughs) for our church. And I like totally sold these cookies like everywhere. Um, And I think that was the first like I was very entrepreneurial as a kid. And so that was kind of the first spark. But I didn't find a photography till after college. I majored in music. I thought I was going to be a music teacher. I knew mm-hmm. I loved education and I loved kids. And um, so, yeah, photography kind of found me after college and just haven't looked back since then. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I remember my first little gig selling something I, I created. Um, I was probably seven or eight. And... I had an allowance and it didn't cover a lot, you know, maybe a popsicle and one candy at the little neighborhood store. And I wanted more. So I walked around the block. I was not allowed to cross the street, but I could walk around the block. I picked flowers, not realizing my neighbors had planted those. (laughs) I made little bouquets and I walked back around the block and sold them. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And the last one I remembered when I got home, the the look in the woman's eye that gave me, I don't know if it was a nickel or a dime, because back then nickels and dimes went a lot farther than they do now. And there was a look in her eye that later I realized she she knew these were her flowers, but she was so tickled by this little early entrepreneur. So I love your story. I can just see you. Uh, making those cookies and being like the head top amazing salesperson at your church. So yeah, cool, cool, cool. My son, my son now is very entrepreneurial too. He'll try to sell back things that we own to us or like (laughs) big paintings. And so it's fun to see that passed along. (laughs) Yeah. So you got to tell him you can do that, but you have to change it to sell it back. Like me, making the bouquets, you know, I put my own artistry into it. Yeah, exactly. You have to improve it a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So the first thing that came to mind when I looked at your bio is the fact that you have done weddings and other work in 20 countries. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. I, so in college, I studied abroad in Greece. And it was one of the more life-changing experiences where I was, I just was like, why don't we adventure and learn about other cultures and do things more often? So I think I've always kind of been trying to get back to study abroad. Mm. Um, Actually, the retreats that we run now, we call them study abroad for adults because we just think adults need to have options to study abroad now if you missed it in college. But So yeah, I've I've always wanted to do more travel work. So some of that was photos for nonprofits, some of it was weddings, um, and some of it is these retreats that we host around the world. Um, so it's been cool. I've it's a combination of opportunities finding me and also a lot of pitching, which I love teaching to photographers that like if you know what you want, you can go out and and pitch it to someone and the worst they can say is no, but sometimes they say yes. And then you have a really great story and great adventure. Just like that. So how do you find weddings internationally? Yeah. 
Yeah, that one was a little trickier. I'm I know you're into manifestation and vision <laughs> boards and things too and and I also think that when you kind of are are open to a lot of what life has for you and open to new experiences, open to meeting new people, um sometimes things just align and they happen. So, um I'll just tell you how how the different ones happened because they're all different. Okay. Um one was a friend of mine that I went to college with. She studied abroad. This was the very first destination wedding I did. She studied abroad and she met a French man and fell in love. Mm-hmm. And um, they were going to have this big French destination wedding. And I was, this was very early days of my photography business. And she was just like, I did photos for her for something else or engagement photos for them. She's like, oh, I wish we could have you come do our wedding in France. And I was like, you can, you know, you can. And I I was like, let's at least talk about it. Yeah. So it ended up being, um, they had like two weeks where they planned all this travel for all their friends and family. They brought me along. I did the wedding and then I documented their whole family traveling for like two weeks. Um, and you know, it was kind of scrappy at that point. I think it probably just covered my expenses, but I had this like unbelievable story. I met all these new friends. I stayed in their friend's apartment in Paris, you know, and so sometimes you kind of have to get a little scrappy when there's something that you really want to experience. Right. right. Hey, a week in someone's apartment in Paris for free. I know. It's not a bad thing. I know. <laughs> you know, it can easily cost six, $7,000 to have a trip to Paris and you've got to do that for fun. And also then you got the bragging rights because, you know, to say I'm an international photographer and have some pictures of Paris, that's a real branding magnet uh, thing. Yeah. I'm not saying the words right, but you know what I mean? It it doesn't stink when you're promoting your business. <laughs> it's much easier to get more destination weddings once you've done a few, like those first few are hard because people really want to see that in your portfolio. Um, so, so yeah, after that one, then, um, some of their friends hired me and one was just like, I met a girl at a bar in New York city and she was like, my (laughs) photographer just canceled on me. We're having a wedding in Italy. And I was like, Hey, (laughs) so I mean, some of it is just, it was total happen chance, you know, happenstance and just, Mm -hmm being like offering up your name in a situation where someone needed it. So, yeah. um, so yeah. Yeah. So I have a new word now happen chance. I think that's a valid word that ought to be, uh, in the dictionary <laughs> happen chance. So find a couple words, you know, <laughs> one of the things I found, I have friends who promote themselves as international photographers available, you know, to travel and, they seem to have a real challenge charging enough that taking even like I did a wedding in Hawaii and which is super fun. I'm all about that. And I charged a good chunk of change for the fact that I was going to be away from my business, even if I didn't stay longer and have some Hawaii fun for at least four days. You've got travel, really five travel on either end resting up, do the wedding, rest up again, and then travel. So how do you figure that out? How do you price yourself 
So it's really worth it to leave your studio and not be able to do work for all that yeah, time. Totally. Totally. I, I definitely think different stages. I had different priorities too. Like I have a son who's young now. And so, you know, it, my travel fee is much higher than maybe it was in my twenties, you know? Um, so in my twenties, when I was really wanting to travel a ton, if I could get a few different projects in a different city at the same time, sometimes I'd have them split the travel bill, you know, get a little creative. Um, but a lot of times I had a separate price sheet for different cities. So, um, I had a destination price sheet that included some travel in that. Um, and then I had my more local price sheet. And I think that that's a, a way that you can do it. Mm-hmm. It's actually way harder after COVID because travel rates are all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't do it that way anymore. But before COVID, I would have like um kind of a set travel fee. And it was just like, a, you know, it's $1,500 or whatever was my travel right. fee. And that worked fairly well. But it doesn't anymore. It's way more expensive to travel now. And um, you have to be a lot more careful and plan for a lot more contingencies. So how do you do it now? Let's say somebody really wants to do this. What do you recommend or what would you do now if someone yeah. contacted you and said, you know, I'm doing a wedding in Mexico or or wherever, Japan. Yeah. I have a friend in Japan today. So uh, yeah. what do you recommend? How do you recommend for people who are not starting and and seeing it as a really fun way to get to travel, but as a business decision? Do you have some thoughts on what you would be doing now if you know if this was your bread and butter? Totally, totally. When I, I mean, when I'm traveling in the states, because I still do that quite a bit, I'll have the couple book my hotel within their room block. So I'll say like, hey, can you book me and my second shooter two rooms for two or three nights? And then I'll kind of a la carte the travel, like um, reimburse the flights or the mileage and add in a little bit for that buffer time too. So okay. yeah, I think it it works well that way. The the um, adding you onto their room block seems like a really easy thing for most people to do and um and then just building in the travel expense and mm-hmm. i try to get them a quote early on in the process but just say like this might change if the like flights change or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um the little bit of this kind of out of state work that i've done i also require that they book my top package mm-hmm. as well as a fee for my time for traveling, because when you think about it, especially now when we can get stuck somewhere <laughs> forever, yeah. we have to leave earlier than we need. And um, so, yeah, taking that all into consideration. But when I when I was new and doing weddings and loved to travel, like nobody was doing international and there wasn't internet. Uh, and I would have loved to go out of state or out of the country and be somewhere new and then stay extra time on, on my dime. So yeah. Yeah. I think it can be tricky. Would you agree with that to, to be profitable if you're not really paying attention? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's really easy to lose track of numbers. I think just, I mean, travels and travel in general, 
um, weddings in general. I shoot a lot of film and I find a lot of film photographers are losing money from their wedding wedding packages. So yeah, knowing your numbers is so important. And not that you can't ever take a little bit of a hit if you're like, this is a marketing decision. Just make sure you're making a very conscious decision and yeah. not making that all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just had like a post-traumatic stress flashback um, when you said film, because uh, even when I traveled for fun, brought my big camera and my Hasselblad and yeah, and my 35 millimeter and maybe 30 rolls of film. And, or when I went to Europe, um, the last time I carried film, you go through lots of different airports and things and they want to tell you, no, it doesn't harm the film. And almost everywhere except England, I was able to say I'm a professional. And if I did this one time, would not be a problem. But if this is going through over and over and I don't remember which role of film has only been through the x-rays one or two times, then I have to throw it out. And this, yeah. the stress of that, of first of all, carrying this much, if you're watching video, you know what I mean, Kristen, big blocks of film. Like a Ziploc yeah. bag full big of box. rolls of film. Yes. <laughs> and then go going really early so that when you get to the, you know, what do we call it? Security, uh, handing it to them and praying that they're not like, no, you can run it through and arguments ensued is patiently saying, I understand, yeah. but I have a right. I have a legal right to have this hand search. So oh, uh, I'll probably oh, have a nightmare about it tonight. <laughs> I know. And, you know, every photographer gets anxiety dreams too. But yeah, I, my mother, my yes. mama bear does not come out more than like, at the security <laughs> at the airport. Like when I was pregnant with my son, I did a destination wedding in Paris and it was like, not a, not a, for a friend one. This was like, a, I was paid a lot of money for it. I yeah. needed to be very careful with these images. And I had like all this medication because I had a high risk pregnancy. So I have like, can you hand check my film? Can you hand check my medication? I don't want to go through the x-ray. I was like the biggest pain, you know, <laughs> pain in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you handle uh, the screeners? And like, do you have a strategy? that you can recommend for travel with all that stuff. And also you got all your cameras and, yeah. and such, and do not check your cameras. Right. Right. Yeah. So do you have thoughts about how you approach the people at security? I always try to learn how to say whatever it is in the language, you know, try to say like, mm. can you please can check my film. So I always either have something printed out in that language or I've learned how to say it. Um, yeah, I go early. I'm really nice. I have it all in a Ziploc bag with all the wrappers off so that they're not like trying to take wrappers off. Um, I try to, I try to like walk through with the bag of film. One time I had them like open it and there was like, like rolls of film on the ground. And I'm just like, you are dropping my film. What are you doing? You know? So I just try to like be as close to it as possible. <laughs> and just like, oh man, I, Lucy, I got so mad that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? This yeah. is like the one livelihood. Yeah. So the one where it just absolutely made no sense is I was flying, let's just say from Italy home, but I had to change planes in England. And I didn't, you know, I got off the plane and then was just going to get right back on another plane. So I didn't go out into the kiosk and come back. But you still had to go through a new security, even though you just got on a plane and you'd just gone through security. Yeah. And they would absolutely not allow me to have it hand inspected. Yeah. So what I did, luckily, I had a one of those bags. Mm-hmm. I'm not remembering what they're called, like but the those lead safe, bags. The lead bags. And so I could only fit like eight rolls at a time. So I was like, okay, so when you run it through, we're going to put it in this. And there were 30 rolls of film and they were so frustrated with me. I'm like, I understand. I do that a lot. I hear what you're saying. I am a professional. I cannot afford the risk of damaged film, but uh, I understand. Like I said, this is my profession and just as calmly, but yeah, it's stressful. So there's some challenges that make the, the fun adventure of traveling for work and photographing. Uh, if we're still in film, I mean, there's still challenges, but um, yeah. So thanks for the nightmares. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next question is, I love that. You know, now I, well, and I especially love the idea of, of doing some retreats. So where's the coolest place? I mean, I'm sure you think they're all cool or you wouldn't have picked it, but where's the coolest place that you've taken a group on a retreat? Um, Probably Iceland. I did one of the first ones at Iceland. Yeah. Which is, have you been to Iceland before? No, I've seen lots of pictures. So pretty. Um, And we just did one in uh, San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, which is also a beautiful city. Some friends of mine just went and both photographers and the pictures that they have posted on Facebook are gobsmacking. (laughs) It's probably not too hard for you to get there from San Diego, too. I feel like it's a, I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of people from California that were there. I'm like, it must be, there must be a good flight. Yeah. Well, it's close to the same time zone too. So to be able to be international and not have, you know, a 10 hour time difference and all that jet lag. Yeah, exactly. uh, Is nice. So are these retreats mostly photographic or what are you focusing on, on the retreats? We kind of do a blend of business and uh, business and tourism, you know, I'm like, let's have some uh, experiences that incorporate personal growth, getting outside your comfort zone while we're having conversations about running a business and marketing. So I've had some that were more photo centric or it was all photographers. Now they're usually open to a wide range of creatives and that ends up being fun too. I still take pictures of everybody, but we kind of air more on the business side of things, which which hmm. is fun. And then the activities kind of like bring you out of your comfort zone, help you get to know people that are there in that country. I always try to let, have 
um, activities that are led by locals and hire local mm. photographers and things like that too, to, so that it's really like kind of immersive. Mm. Sorry, that was a weird noise I just made. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wow, that sounds yeah. great. No, they're fun. They're really fun. Yeah. Um, so I have a hot tip for yeah. you. A wonderful place to go. And maybe you ha- have already done this, but the Cotswolds in England. Yes. Have you been? I haven't, but it looks stunning. It's got the thatched roof cottages. It's just really that like merry old quaint England. And uh, one of my friends did a a travel trip. I think there are about 15 of us. Uh, oh, and on. we did it in May. So everything was blooming. Mm. And there are the most incredible gardens. Like gardening for men is a sport in England. Yeah. So, and these sweet little couples with their little, little hats that hipsters wear now, uh, walking around with their canes in these beautiful gardens and Stonehenge is there. If you ever go, there is a way to book a group at sunset where you can go in among the stones, which the average tourist cannot do. Our coach driver, bus driver, had not been in the stones in 20 years. So, and there's Bath. It's just an incredible place. And the food is not as bad anymore in England as they like to say. So you you get yourself to Oxford and then you take a, a coach. So that sounds amazing. Uh, if you're if you're thinking about a great trip, and what's nice too is they all speak English. So yeah, makes it a little less complicated. Yeah, that's like where the holiday was filmed, right? In that area, Christmas movie. I, I don't, I don't remember where that was filmed, yeah, but uh, anyway, it's a great, especially for people who love flowers and old buildings and things like that. It's anyway, I highly recommend it, awesome. it for my listeners. If you're like, I want to go on a photography fun trip with some friends. I recommend that as well. The way my friend picked it is as her plane was flying, it was flying right over the Cotswolds. And she looked down and was like, where is that? (laughs) And so she looked it up and like, we're going there next time. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So I know something that you are really big on especially for creatives, is having multiple streams of revenue. So can you talk about, first of all, what is is that? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I am really passionate about this. I think it's, are, are you into the Enneagram? Like, do you know your Enneagram type? I don't remember it. <laughs> I have taken it. And yes, so I don't know what I am, but yes, I, I don't really know what I am either. Cause I keep changing, keep changing it. But my multiple stream of revenue thing is very six on the Enneagram, which like wants to always have a backup plan and to always feel safe. And so the multiple streams of revenue happened a couple different reasons. So many photographers have had this moment kind of about now, February, right? Where it's booking season and you're just freaking out that there's not enough on the books. What happens if I can't pay my bills this year? It's really easy to get into this like head spiral. And I did that for Mm -hmm. so many years of my business until I started building these other um, ways to make money into my business so that I wasn't putting so much pressure 
on every single inquiry. Cause you know, when there's pressure on anything, mm-hmm. it's harder for it to materialize. Just like when you, when yeah. you're like dating someone and you're like, this has to be the person that I'm like with forever. Like no one likes that pressure. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a term I heard a while ago called commission breath yeah. <laughs> that when you're working on commission and you're focused on that, people can feel it and it's, it's off-putting. It isn't attractive. Yeah. So yes. You're like you and, want this a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. And what you described in my, you know, 40 years in my career, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's January this is the year I'm going to starve to death. I just know mm-hmm. it. And then I would have to talk myself down and remind myself, first of all, if you didn't get any work, you'll figure something out. You'll handle it. But it also could kind of motivate me to get off my tushy yeah. and work. But I love the multiple stream idea. So describe what that would be for a photographer. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, give us some ideas. I'll I'll give you some of the ones that I've done over the years and some ideas that I see photographers doing that I think it can be so helpful. Because even if you're just like, I have money (laughs) coming in from this other thing too, that's also tied in with my photography business. We're not like going off and starting some other totally random side hustle. Like it's nice when they all support each other. Then when there's a inquiry that's not the right fit, you don't have, like you said, that commission breath. So um, some examples are presets, are um, education offerings. Um, I've even done things. I had a film scanner for a while and I rented out my film scanner to other photographers. I made a, mm-hmm. um, when I was single parenting, I had my house kind of set up like a studio and me and my son would clear out and rent it out to other photographers for their to like to do their own photo shoots in. So I was like, I leveraged my assets, I leveraged my education, I did other types of photography. Um, and now in our coaching program, we kind of encourage people to have four pillars of creative business revenue. And the four pillars mm. are um, meat and potatoes which I say, especially if you're someone who like security is really important to you, or you're the breadwinner of your family, or um, you're the only person supporting yourself, um, having a retainer client or someone that's signed on for a bigger project can be really helpful. So even when I was shooting weddings really consistently, I had a branding retainer client that was paying me a certain amount every month to do a certain amount of branding photos for them in a year. And especially when I was, you know, again, single parenting, breadwinner, just knowing that that bit of revenue was promised each month mm-hmm. really took a lot of pressure off of me and let me be creative in some different ways. Yes. So I want to pause you one sec there. So I had a client for eight years. I think I've mentioned it now. And then the golfer, Phil Mickelson, his wife loved photography and at least twice a year I did major shoots for them, which was awesome because we would do it for Christmas cards and things. So, you know, I had work and and such with that. The downside was it made me a little bit lazy mm, in marketing. Really? Because I always knew I had this nice chunk of change. Mm. 
So um, just that little cautionary tale <laughs> is pretend you don't have that in terms of the other parts of your business or the main business, whatever it would be. Does that make sense? Do you have totally. thoughts on that? Yeah, I feel like I'm like that. It's got to be something to do with personality too. I'm like, if if I don't feel, you know, for me, if I don't feel safe, my other marketing goes you know, goes out the window too. Cause I'm like, ah, now I just am spiraling. So that's probably, mm-hmm. you know, part of my, the anxiety that I have as a, uh, whatever Enneagram type I am, but yeah, I, I could mm-hmm. see that being the case too. I, I just tend to go the other way. I think. <laughs> yeah. Cause my superpower is sales. Uh, if I have a steady stream of clients, I'm rich. But the the marketing part is something that's not natural for me. So it was so easy to be like, okay, well, I'm doing fine. I've got that going on. And yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So number one is meat and potatoes, which is having like right now I have a vacation rental that used to be my studio when I did a lot more babies. So that's my meat and potatoes. Love it. I'm thinking right that I get whatever, you know, it, it rents out pretty well and by the way, if anybody's coming to San Diego, I've got this great little vacation rental and we're right near the zoo, the park, downtown, beaches, but in a cute neighborhood. Yeah, anyway. that's amazing. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of, it's a little easier and it's not something you're having to actively market so much, you know, which it kind of makes it for, for people that get overwhelmed by marketing. And then the second one is main, main stars which I would say like, that's the thing that you want to be known for. Or if you're niching in something like for my business, it was wedding photography. So my main star was wedding photography. That was all I put on Instagram. That was all that was on my website. Wanted to be known as, you know, film wedding photographer. So that, you know, that's the thing that you're like mainly showing up to market is the main star. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I'm thinking you give me lots of good thoughts. So one of my coaching clients is building a pet photography business, mm-hmm. working for people with their pets as a sideline. She wants to grow some commercial income yeah. as well. So it sounds like the main star, what she focuses on the most is, is growing and sustaining that steady traffic of individuals. And then a little side side money would be from what she can do either commercially with the images she takes or some things like photographing somebody's dog food or something. Yeah. Uh, am I am I on track yeah, with that? For sure. Okay. For sure. Cause I, I think you know, some of it when you're trying to market too many things on the same platform or in the same way, I think people can start to get confused. And so I'm a fan of having, you know, one thing that you market this way. And then my, you know, my commercial stuff was all word of mouth. It was all kind of behind the scenes, was not something right. I had to actively market. It kind of like existed over here. So yeah, yeah, totally. So when I was all in on weddings, I did not put children, passports, um, all these other potential things I can do. But occasionally someone would say do you do family portraits or children or some other things? And like, I don't love doing headshots. So usually I sent that to somebody else, but yes. So I I think we're on the same page with that, like brand 
tell the world what you do that's your main star moneymaker. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the third, so the third pillar is enhancers. And that's kind of the add-on to that main service, um, which, you know, as a portrait photographer, that would be your print packages and the framed prints and the albums and the um, family memberships and, you know, kind of building on to that package for that one person for wedding photography, rehearsal dinner coverage, boudoir photography, um, albums, welcome parties, prints. I mean, there's so many things to add on to that. And again, that's like stuff you're not having to super actively market because you're you're making those sales with your existing clients. Right. Okay. So when I did weddings, um, I started to be frustrated when I included engagement sessions for everybody. Yeah. And then they would only get one eight by 10 that they put in their album. So I started charging uh, a retainer. So I'd say engagement session is complimentary with the package, but I do collect a minimum purchase on that. Mm -hmm. And so I would bring in an extra thousand, two thousand dollars on the engagement sessions. And then now with portraits, a, a lot of people are including frames in their packages. I always separate that out because it's a different pocket that the money comes out of mm -hmm. later to add on a frame. And I would say when I, you know, was super active doing families, 20% of my income came from selling frames and I didn't have to do anything but order it and yeah. take the little gun or actually pay my assistant to assemble it and then deliver it. So are those two things I mentioned? Yeah. What you call enhancers? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like what's going to make this product or service better? Um, you know, providing providing the frame and the custom framing is an enhancement to what they're already receiving. And so you're making their life better and they're also increasing the revenue that's coming into your business. Yeah. And they need a frame from somewhere. Yeah. So what I find is, I'm not sure what the term is, but where you so I think this is in the enhancing enhancer is that you kind of have step by step money investment. So mm -hmm. like I start in portraits with the initial session fee and a minimum purchase, and that money gets out of their pocket into mine. Mm -hmm. And then I sell the photographs and I don't do the frames because I think the sale will be smaller. Because if they are comfortable spending $3,000, they'll do it whether there's a frame or not. Mm -hmm. And then the next enhancement is then the opportunity to sell them a frame. So am I on track with yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Thinking about the different parts of the purchasing decisions when each thing kind of needs to be decided on. And I think too many people try to try to force their clients to make all the decisions up front and ends up doing kind of a disservice to both of you. Yes. Yeah. Totally. What is number four? Madeira? Number four is PJ profits. And this is a little bit more on the passive income side of things. Although I always say like, nothing's really passive. You have to put effort into anything you do, but you know, like this would be your presets or your iPhone photography course or the, um, I mean, your print shop, if it's automated, would be more of a PJ profit 
um, your gallery, your um, online gallery of like fine art prints, or yeah, if you got into education and did a PDF about something or a course about something, a lot of those things are more pa- more passive or more leveraged. And I feel like those tend to be, my only warning is those tend to be the shiny objects for people. And they're like, ooh, let's build all these PJ profits. And I think the other three are way more important to build first because they can um, bring in more revenue faster. And this kind of ends up being a slower build slash icing on top. And I mean, I would throw my, like when I was renting out my film scanner or my studio, sometimes that was a little bit more on the PJ profit front too. But what if you don't wear PJs? <laughs> you're, you're nudie profits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would, sorry, TMA for me, but yes, I, uh, but I like to dress where it feels like I'm in PJs all the yeah, time. Yeah, so. totally, totally. Good. So that was such good Good stuff. Anything else on the multiple streams of income? Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen it happen with a lot of people we work with is I think you you get excited about all these multiple streams of income and you try to, you know, I've done this too. You try to bite off everything at the same time. And I think the yeah. way to really make that effective is to focus on one thing, build it. And once it is Kind of, you know, I think everything we do at some point hits a little bit of a tipping point. Like at the beginning of your photography business, we're just marketing, 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 marketing until we have enough of a client list that there's this referral momentum coming in. And so I think if you Mm -hmm. can wait until you get to that point where there's referral momentum coming in, you can take the gas off the marketing a little bit to go and build another revenue stream or your podcast or your education offering or your presets and then come back and kind of like cycle the things through. I think people tend to get overwhelmed slash I tend to get overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm going to build 10 revenue streams all at the same time. And then just like everything falls flat. So that's my encouragement is don't try to build them all at the same time. Pick one at a time to focus on. And, um, and yeah, and I mean, stories of how it helped me out, you know, COVID when most of the big weddings were canceled I had other streams of revenue, didn't have to take out Mm -hmm. unemployment. I had these other things going that helped us out. Um, I broke my hand right before I had to do a photo shoot, like my shooting hand, and had a friend cover it. And it didn't totally destroy us financially for, you know, because I had other things going on. So I think it just, it helps. um, It's a way to help kind of like have some backup plans in place. Right. Because we never know what's going to happen. Yeah. I had a giant tumor in my sinus. Oh my gosh. And I had many, found it in 2010. I lost a lot of work time then. And then 2014, when it was a major brain surgery, of course, I had a lot of time. But because I had other things going, and also in this situation, I could plan ahead, you Mm -hmm. know, so... Then I worked really hard and I actually made more money in those two years and had more steady income. Because you did you just book out like you booked out on the horizon? So some of them, I was a little more like, hey, we got to get this in. I've got to get this sale with you done because I'm going to be down for I don't know how long. And then I booked with a couple of the surgeries. I booked them a month after, but but I focused on 
getting things going uh, in a way that it's just like one of my coaching clients took a part-time job just to supplement as she's continuing to grow. Mm -hmm. And I see her actually accomplishing more now that she has less time because when she has the time, she focuses and and gets gets her done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt that my ex and I split up when my son was two years old and I was Mm. running my photography business, but I all of a sudden I went from, you know, having someone co-parenting with me to basically every day except for one day had my son who was like, you know, at that age, it's a full-time job. And so I had a couple hours when he was at, you know, daycare for one day a week um, where I could get stuff done. And then I had after he went to bed where I would get stuff done. That's when I started my podcast. That's when I recorded my online course. Cause I think I was like, I need to make sure we're in a better situation in a year than right now. And the, Mm -hmm. you know, I think when you get kind of backed into those walls and something really hard happens when your time gets constricted, um, yeah, you can be a lot more, you have like a very clear vision and it feels like I can push for this, you know, short amount of time to get to where I'm going that will make the future easier on us. Yeah. So we can welcome adversity mm-hmm. and how it helps our business. Now, I'm going to suggest one other. Um, I'm not sure where this would fall. It's probably in uh, your four pillars. But if I could live my life over again, I would have found a way to buy. There were properties across the street Mm -hmm. that uh, if I had figured out a way to have the wherewithal to buy those and rent them, um, one of them was this beautiful, still is a beautiful home that I could have purchased for $200,000 that is probably worth well over a million and a half. And I could easily be getting like $3,500 a month income. And then the other is I'm looking out my window and seeing three small houses that were part of a property. I live in a historic neighbor mm-hmm. neighborhood and those three sold for 200,000. And I knew about it before anyone else, but at the time, you know, young woman just keeping things going and, and single, you know, but I look back now and one of the best things I did was my house is a two on one. Yeah. And so I used it for rent early on. Then when I became a baby photographer, it was my studio. And then when I realized, oh, I'm doing outdoor portraits now. And if I need a studio, I moved it down to my garage. And so I've got that passive income. So yeah. I, early on, one of uh, the photographers in San Diego that was really smart said, a lot of people make the most money in their photography by buying their studio rather than renting and then later on making income if you don't want to use the studio. So yeah. Think real estate, but yeah. smart. Yeah. Don't don't buy right now when it's at the top. Yeah, exactly. Or do if you need to. Um okay, so we're almost out of time. Was there before I ask you my last two like closing questions, anything else with the multiple streams? I mean, I'm right there with you with the real estate. Um, The house that I bought was an hour outside of town. It was like a, you know, a small town that no one noticed yet. And I bought it at a good time and turned it into a studio. So 
yeah, I think it's mm. smart to be thinking of of the things on the periphery too that might be a part of of letting you be more creative or travel more or take less clients or whatever. I think it's I think what you said is, is exactly right. Thinking long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's unbelievable how quickly my 40 years has passed. It seems like, and then when I think, oh, someone's been in business 10 years, oh, they're new. And then I remember, oh, wait, look what's going on with me, you know, at 10 years. It's such a beautiful journey being a creative because we get to, especially a creative that knows how to be profitable and serve our industry, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. What do you love more about most, not more, but most about being a creative entrepreneur? I love, I mean, I love the relationships that I have through the industry. My, um, my wedding clients end up being like lifelong friends sometimes, or I continue to document them as they get older. Some of them come back and end up starting their own creative business and join one of our coaching programs or come to a study abroad. So I think for me, that's the part that I really love is getting to, to partner with people and go along their journey with them and see them in all these different facets of life, whether that's getting married or whether that's motherhood or sometimes getting divorced and doing a boudoir session to like heal from that. You know, there's just, it's cool to be part of Mm -hmm. people's journeys. Yeah, I agree. I also love, um, that freedom of deciding when I'm going to wake up in the morning and being able to travel when I want. And I've been a better chief than a worker, Mm -hmm. better like leader than follower. Especially when when I'm the boss of me. Yeah. Uh, You know, sometimes I'm kind of a mean boss, uh, (laughs) but I do the best I can to give myself grace for not always being perfect. I don't know anyone relates to that, but oh my gosh, totally, totally. Yeah. This was, this was the first year where we did a remote month somewhere. We did it in January and I was like, I've been running my business how long? And we just were like, let's maybe go somewhere warm in the winter. And we just moved our yeah. office somewhere warm. I think there's just so many cool opportunities now when you run your own business to, you know, move somewhere else. It's pretty warm in San Diego. Yeah, we'll just go to San Diego. (laughs) And I got all five stars. It's this charming little one-bedroom granny flat above above my garage. So, hey, if you're ever thinking of that, it's just, anyway, I don't know why I'm into promoting that right now. But (laughs) one time, someone I'd known for years as a photographer, and you know how you have photographer friends, and then you have photographer friends? Mm -hmm. I, well, I think I know she what you was, mean. <laughs> it was in that we would be friends if it wasn't photography, yeah. like, you know, a deeper heart connection. Mm-hmm. She now lives in um, the Netherlands. She married a Dutch man and she booked my apartment for six weeks, not knowing it was mine. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. And we were so excited. And we had so much fun for those six weeks. And her husband is kind of the not the most adventurous. So there was lots of times for her to come sit on my porch or for us to go to lunch and stuff. So yeah, I love that. It's that same making friends thing that I love about my photography career. I'm, I'm like you. And of course now coaching and podcasting, because now I got you as a new friend. So (laughs) fun. We also have a garage apartment. If you ever want to come to Nashville, we'll just, we'll swap. Oh, okay. (laughs) 
Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, okay. So two questions. One, I know that you have a gift for our listeners. What is that? And how do we how do we grab it? Yes. Um, it is some vision board templates. They're super easy to work through and it includes kind of a, a masterclass on vision boarding too, but we have them divided up into months and based on your core values. So we kind of walk you through that and they are at dangerschool.com slash freebies. And I'll also send you the link. So if you want to put them in the show notes or anything, but yeah. yeah. Great. And, um, when Kristen was telling me that she has that gift earlier, I was like, oh, my March 1st episode is all about manifesting. And I talk about vision boards. So perfect segue. So cool. All right. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to share either something that you'd be like, oh, man, I wish I had shared this or just like a wrap up like your last thoughts for today. So what do you got? You know, I think that the thing that I wish every creative knew and felt is that you have so much to share and your authenticity and being yourself is so needed in this industry. I think it's so easy to blend in and do exactly what other people are doing. And the more you can kind of be your weird self, do what comes naturally to you, um, stand out a little bit. I think that that is just like a breath of fresh air in our industry. So. Um, I just really appreciate you having me on the podcast. I definitely feel like you are that too. You're a breath of fresh air. So I just really appreciate being here. Thank you. I loved having this conversation and can't wait to be in the hot seat uh, in about a month. Yeah. And have you? I don't like to say pick my brain. I like to say go in there and wander around and see what you find. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> so, to host you. Yeah. Thank you for letting me wander around your brain and we've found some really good things. I know people are going to love this episode. So thanks. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show and everybody stay tuned for my wrap up after I send Kristen off to the rest of her day. So bye Kristen. Thank you. So I am back, but you didn't even know I went. (laughs) Uh, That was such a great, great conversation. And I love covering some new topics and topics that have some new perspectives. So I know you're going to love it too. Before I do my wrap up, just reminding you that if you would like to chat about anything, just go to Lucy Dumas Coaching and send me a message or you can email me lucy at lucydumas.com there are a couple of gifts at lucydumascoaching.com lucy with an i like a a breakdown of seven strategies for marketing thinking about your marketing anyway good stuff in there so um yeah so here's the wrap up we talked about her background baking cookies and being an entrepreneur from a young age selling something she created. And then I was really fascinated by how she's worked in 20 countries. And she talked about how some of those are workshops she's done, some commercial jobs. We talked about weddings and when you're going to travel, making sure 
that it isn't taking away from your business, but enhancing it. You know, a lot of time, a lot of effort, travel through airports, carrying your cameras, all of that takes a lot of effort. Being a traveling photographer can enhance our credibility and be more impressive. So sometimes even if we're not getting full time for a dollar value, I think she uh, pointed out, I think I'm saying it differently, but it can be worth it even if it's not financially as worth it as booking something locally. Um, but if you're going to be a regular international photographer or travel to other states, you just want to remember how much time is away from your business and how much stress and so forth and charge accordingly. So then we talked about multiple streams of income and that having backup plans can give you a sense of peace or having other steady income in whatever way would work for you can save that like the fears that happen uh, certain times of year for wedding photographers it's often january and she said there's four pillars there's the meat and potatoes like a retainer client or some other or something that's just going to come in all the time there's the main star number two that's your money maker and it's what you're known as and i love that she suggested we we keep our focus and our marketing really solidly on that main star. Um, then enhancers, number three, which is add-ons. Like for me, it was frames and albums. I always knew I was going to sell wall portraits when I do, not did, but do uh, family portraits. But the frames and the books are kind of that bonus money in a way. And then she called it number four, PJ Profit. So things that like courses or if you get your work in websites that are like art galleries and things that just provide some steady income while you're sleeping or watching Netflix in your PJs. <laughs> and then her um, last thought was understanding that as a creative you are unique. And the more you bring that out, you're, I think she said, your weird self, you know, just being yourself and getting the world to experience what it is that you do that you offer. She and I encourage you. So that's it for today. Stay tuned for all the other goodness. Thanks for subscribing to my YouTube channel and to the podcast platforms, wherever you like to listen. That's it. Bye. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one -on -one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.